This is VLX number 78, A Kingdom Divided. We are in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. God give you his peace and omni patris affidit spiritus sancti. Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni patris affidit spiritus sancti. Amen. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So one of the things I'd like to consider today is how fast, how rapid are 99% of the miracles that Jesus works. The only one I know where there's even the slightest amount of lag time is in Mark chapter 8. Listen to that one. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Okay, so notice right there, Jesus heals the blind man, and things are blurry, maybe even represented as trees for a minute. But even then, even with this tiny bit of lag time, we have to realize how quick this is. Because at verse 24, he sees men look like walking trees. But then by verse 25, this man's sight is restored and it says he saw everything clearly. So it just takes one verse for the full healing in the very slowest time we have in the Bible. Well, today it's even faster. This is a different blind man because this man is both blind and deaf. That's what uh, it says there. Mute also means deaf. So we're going to talk about this in a second. Really how, um, how different of a life it would be if you were both blind and deaf. We read the Bible so quickly, we don't even realize what this would have been like to go from entirely blind and deaf to the first thing you see is the face of Christ. And the first thing you hear is his voice. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk about why faith is so important. You know, Christ gave these power to the apostles for these, these healings and these miracles. And we see these miracles continue through the lives of all of these saints. But something happened in the 60s, and I want to talk about that. You know, a hundred years ago, exorcisms used to only take one day. A hundred years ago, exorcisms just took a day for Catholic priests. But now, exorcists will tell you these take up to like four years. Now, one exorcist says this is because the church lost her power at the human aspect of the church, not the divine aspect. Remember, the Catholic Church is the spotless bride of Christ, but she also has a human side. Well, 
all the exorcists who are old, who've recounted the story of middle age and young exorcists, say something happened in the autumn of 1963 that totally tanked the power of the church, at least at the subjective level, for the exorcisms to go fast. And what was that? Well, I'm not going to say on this. Um, I've never been told by an exorcist, but I asked a very, a very wise layman. And I'm going to put in the show notes what our best guess on that is, but it's going to go in the show, show notes so we don't scare any kids. But the point is that at the subjective level, the church lost major power since the 60s, and this is why we have to pray so hard for the restoration of the Catholic Church. Okay, well, what in the world does this have to do with Matthew 22? Well, today, Jesus works two miracles in just one verse. And the point is how fast this is, how fast the miracle is that Jesus works. Um, let's just start with the imaginative way of prayer so you can place yourself in that, in that part. And remember, you can actually chew on this all day. If, let's, say you have, let's say you allot 15 minutes for my VLX talking and 15 minutes for meditation. You can chew on whatever comes to you in prayer all day long, and you'll notice that you derive tremendous benefit from that. So whatever 15 minutes you give to God, try to extend that through the whole day. Let it even come into your rosaries, into your conversations, whatever, and you're going to notice this becomes the leaven for your entire day. Okay, so here's what I'm going to suggest you do. Um, imagine you are blind and deaf. You know, how many of us could just maybe put on major hearing protection and a blindfold and really go through an entire day blind and deaf? With how addicted people are to technology, people would go mad. They'd literally go insane nowadays if they had to go through a single day fully blind and fully deaf. Now imagine living your entire life blind and deaf and you are this person in Matthew 22 and you come to Jesus or he comes to you, however you picture it, and then... And then this miracle happens. And the very first thing you see is the face of Jesus Christ. And the very first thing you hear is the sound of the voice of the Son of God. This is the voice of God that the Psalms say, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Now, of course, when Jesus is speaking, he's not yelling and breaking cedars because this is where divinity is veiled and comes to us in gentleness, as we said on the last one. But it's still that same voice, that same voice that uh, the psalmist, King David, says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. This is the first voice this man who lived his whole life deaf hears. Imagine looking into Jesus' eyes. Uh, as the very first thing you've ever seen your whole life, presumably. Jesus Christ is God and there's no lag time. He says, think of, think of Jesus in the Old Testament. He's the second person of the Trinity. So it actually is God the Father who creates the entire universe. It's God the Son who creates the entire universe. It's God the Holy Spirit who creates the entire universe. So it is Jesus who said, let there be light, and there was light. He says, let there be stars, and there are stars. There's no lag time. And so... When Christ meets a blind and a deaf man and simply wills it, what does it say? Just in one simple verse, then a demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Just those three words, he healed him. Compare that to how exorcisms now take four years. This was immediate, and it says, so that the man spoke and saw. The guy didn't even waste any time speaking uh, right after this healing. It's immediate. 
you know, it must have just been that this entire atmosphere of grace followed Christ. Demons cause all disease and darkness, and yet Christ, where he shows up, life and light went everywhere he went. So when he is in the presence of someone deaf and blind, provided there's some faith, it's immediate light that dissipates the darkness and the disease and anything else in this man's life, except sin, which takes some repentance. And even then, you look at people like Mary Magdalene, and one act of great love is enough perfect contrition for instantaneous forgiveness even of sins. I don't mean that Jesus went around frenetically moving fast and stuff. I just mean that this atmosphere of grace was so powerful that the light and the life that he brought to darkness had no lag time. There was no waiting. It was just immediate. Okay, let's switch to the study method now. And remember, it's okay to write the Greek words above the English or the Spanish or the Portuguese, whatever you're studying. It's fine, I think, in your Bible to write the Greek Don't cross any words out in your French or Spanish or Portuguese or Chinese or whatever. But I think it's okay to write Greek words above it, whether that's done in the uh, Cyrillic alphabet or the Latin alphabet. Now, seeing such an amazing miracle as we have today, this blind and deaf man instantaneously being able to speak and hear, the Pharisees are right there to play it down, stave it off. Now, it's actually worse than that. The enemies are right there. And, you know, you might imagine some enemies of Christ saying, oh, well, it didn't happen, or... His followers are liars, or these simple people have their senses tricked. Um, But no, it's actually worse than that that the Pharisees say. They go to the extreme blasphemy today, and they basically admit, yeah, there's no denying this man's eyes were opened and his ears were opened, but Jesus did it by the power of Beelzebub. I don't even like saying that on the podcast, because Beelzebub is just another name for Satan. also means Lord of the Flies. That's a horrible visual also. Can, but can you imagine the blasphemy of that, of, of saying that miracle came from Satan? And by the way, it, this actually does prove historically this miracle took place because not even his enemies doubted the validity of the fact that this man was blind and deaf and then after meeting Jesus, sees and hears and speaks. But anyway, the blasphemy is astonishing. They say it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. But now look at Jesus. He, he who is infinite love and goodness has just been called this horrible name, Lord of the Flies, basically. And he responds with calm and loving logic, logic because he still wants to win these Pharisees to him. Even after these Pharisees rejected his miracle, even after they blaspheme him and call him the worst thing they could, you know, I wouldn't respond with so much calmness and love, but listen to what our Lord says with pure love and reason to them. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Okay, so what Christ is basically saying here is, how could I fight for Satan's kingdom and against it at the same time? How could I fight for Satan's kingdom and against it at the same time? Kind of a long quote from Father Lapide, but it's worth listening to, so listen to this. Father Lapide, page 574. Neither indeed is Beelzebub so foolish as to send the devils who are subject to him to drive out one the other. For by so doing, he would destroy his and their kingdom. So also, mutinous soldiers, when they rebel against their prince, are closely 
and intimately united among themselves, for they know, if they should disagree, they would easily be attacked and overthrown by their prince. I have spoken of Christ's hostility to the devils, because Apollonius of Tiana and Philostratus testifies in his life, and magicians cast out devils, but by collusion with them, that they may entice men to sorcerers and sorcery, that is, fellowship with the devil." But Christ proves by what follows that he had no fellowship with the devil. I spoke also of assiduous warfare, for frequently strife and battle will arise among the devils for the possession of a man. An aged priest, worthy of credit, who had discharged the office of exorcist for many years and expelled devils at Rome, once told me he had seen with his eyes and heard with his ears two men possessed with devils contending and fighting with one another In the church of St. Matthew, the devil who possessed one of the men was of a higher order and superior to the other, and he wished to cast out the other devil as an inferior from the man whom he possessed. But the inferior devil stubbornly resisted and greatly abused his superior, and among other things he said to him, You are an infernal devil by the just judgment of God, banished to hell. You are far more heavily punished than I am who am not an infernal devil, but am permitted to live here in the air because I did not rebel against God as you did, but only adhered and consented to Lucifer as a subject to my superior. But such things as this are extremely rare and are succeeded by peace, even as these two devils after a short time laid aside their contention and rested and held their peace. For although those who are damned and the devils burn with pride, wrath, and hatred one against another and quarrel and tear one another in hell like dogs, nevertheless, on earth they must agree among themselves in order that they may establish their kingdom and dominion over men. So what Father Lapide is saying right there is even demons have to work together so as to drag as many humans to hell as possible. And so Jesus is saying, how could he be working for the healing and the liberation of humans while working for Beelzebub or being himself at the same time? It's an argument by reason. And so Jesus uses basically warfare philosophy, military teaching to show why this can't be. And let's apply this to spiritual direction really quick. Notice from that uh, account from Father Lapide right there, a little demon who listens to a big demon, namely Lucifer, he still had to go to hell. But his punishment was not as bad because he didn't directly rebel against God. I would say by analogy, we could almost extrapolate this for the case of spiritual direction. This is just me, not Father Lapidus. Take it with a grain of salt. But I would say extrapolated from that is a lay person who listens to a bad priest and commits a lot of sins by listening to that bad priest still has to go to hell. It's just his punishment's not going to be as bad. Now, you might think, well, no, that person should get a pass since the bad priest gave bad advice. I hope that's the case, but that exorcist story I just read you from Father Lapide shows that the little demons, lack of a better term, I guess we'll use little demons, the little demons who listen to the big demons who had directly rebelled against God, both of them have to go to hell. It's just the ones that directly rebelled against God were punished more severely as infernal demons, the very, very bottom of hell, and then for a short time the little demons get some time in the air on earth, apparently. But anyway, this is why... Uh, you don't get a pass for listening to somebody bad. And this is why I would say it's so important never to go to spiritual direction to someone who's speaking against the Catholic faith. 
Um, you really have to go to someone for spiritual direction that you're absolutely sure is going to get you to heaven. And even then, maybe some of you saw me put this on Twitter, you really only need a good confessor. I'm not a big fan of how spiritual direction takes place these days. You know, the saints say a priest worthy of giving spiritual direction is one in a million. And so I'm going to say this. In such a church crisis as now, it really is better to do mental prayer and the rosary, read saints' books, and then find a traditional confessor. Yeah, go to confession every week. You can get good advice in the confessional from a good priest. But I'm not a big fan of this guru spiritual director stuff. And sometimes, this even happens in the Latin mass world, so I'm not even ripping on the liberal world. We see this happen in the Latin mass world that sometimes the advice is fine, but the relationship gets weird. Uh, not talking about sixth and ninth commandment stuff necessarily, but there's a lot of emotional boundary violations in the Latin mass world between priests and married women. So hey, Latin mass priests out there, why don't you start either giving men spiritual direction or having men's nights with cigars in, instead of commanding so many women out there around like you're their life coaches or spiritual gurus? And, you know, I know of one priest who, um, who left and got married after uh, emotional boundaries like this. So you guys got to be careful with all this. You know, I really think that everyone, married man, married woman, and priest, you just have to remember this. Mental prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the spiritual life. And God can't move a parked car. So if you're moving fast through good meditation, rosary, frequent confession, weekly or daily mass... If you're moving fast through life with a lot of faith, hope, and charity, all you need is a good confessor, not a guru. Okay, let's move on. And next, our Lord says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, you might ask, why did Jesus just use the word if? Well, it's just an argument by elimination. Remember, he just eliminated the notion that he was working for Satan, and he's now showing there's no gray area in following him, Christ. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Really, we should say, since it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let's hear what Father Lapide has to say about that. He says, If I, by the power of God and the Holy Ghost, not of Beelzebub, cast out devils, as I have already proved, then that is true, and the Holy Ghost himself manifestly attested by his concurrence with my miracles and exorcisms, which I and John the Baptist have put forward as the head and sum of our preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. So in other words, since it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you, because Christ just eliminated the other possibility of Satan's kingdom being totally divided. It just won't work by military strategy. It might be partially divided at times, because as he said, these demons can fight. But remember, even gangsters have to work together to accomplish crime. Okay, now the next part of today's section is a very confusing parable. It really confused me for a lot of my life. And this is really why we do need the church fathers. Listen to this line. Our Lord says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now who is who in this parable? I used to think for most of my life that the strong man was God and then his goods were humans and the robber was Satan. Well, the one thing I was right about that is the goods are humans. But, catch this, pay attention closely here. It's actually, according to the church fathers, it's actually that the strong man is Satan and the one plundering is God. 
let me say that again, how the church fathers see it. The strong man is Satan, who has the human beings, and the robber, the one who's going to steal them back, is God. Now, we, we look at this and we want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We humans belong to God, not Satan. And that's absolutely correct. But Jesus is showing here, and this is where original sin comes in. This is where the Catholic teaching on original sin is totally vindicated in today's parable. It's super important. Christ is showing here that Satan has held captive men and women since the garden, since they fell. Because in some sense, not in some sense, in a very intense real sense, Adam and Eve and all of their progeny bound themselves to Satan in the garden. And this is what original sin is. They are bound, all of Adam's sons and Eve's daughters are bound forever, if Christ hadn't come, in this layer of death because of the pact they made with Satan in the garden. They are locked into this darkness. Um, they're locked into sin. They're locked into ultimately hell for 4,000 years from the point of Adam and Eve obeying Satan until we have the chance to follow Christ. And again, that layer of death is called original sin. Well, this should shock you. Yeah, this should shock you a little bit that Christ is basically saying he's on a rescue mission to steal back all of humanity that has bound themselves to Satan by their own free will. You see, we really do not as modern Catholics, we really do not get how evil original sin is. That Satan in this parable is like the strong man who's kidnapped all the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. Well, yeah, this church fathers got this. They said that the every human is born as a tabernacle of Satan, but at baptism that little baby becomes a tabernacle of God. Now, of course, modernist Catholics, they like that second half, that a, a newly baptized baby is a tabernacle of God. That's beautiful. It's true. It's powerful. But we modernist Catholics, we hate that first part that the church fathers say a newborn baby is a tabernacle of Satan because really, at the end of the day, we just want to think that everybody's pretty good without Jesus and he's just the privileged way. No, no, we are born status quo one foot in hell. Probably some of the fathers would say two feet in hell. I'm not kidding. That's how the church fathers see us because that is how Christ explains it in this parable in numerous places in the New Testament and the Old Testament that Jesus has to rescue us back from quite nearly belonging to Satan. And then without Christ, everybody's going to hell, literally. That strong man, Satan, well, he now gets bound by Jesus, who is going to handcuff him at the cross and free everyone from this dungeon of the strong man. That is hell. Listen to Father Lapide, so you know I'm not just making this stuff up. He says, this is Father Lapide putting words in Christ's mouth, but as the fathers would, is a conglomeration of the fathers. Whenever I say he puts words in his mouth, I mean that in a positive way. I, Christ, who despoil the kingdom of Satan by leading sinners, his subjects, to repentance and salvation, must overcome and bind Satan himself. For otherwise, he would not allow this spoliation. Satan, therefore, is my enemy and has been overthrown by me. He is not my friend or ally in casting out demons, as ye calumniously assert. By the strong man, understand Lucifer, the prince of the devils, and hence the antagonist of Christ and St. Michael, for Lucifer, being conquered by Christ on the cross, was thrust down to hell, that there he should remain personally bound until the day of judgment. Then he will be loosed for a little space, as St. John says in Apocalypse chapter 20. Father Lapide wrote this in 1700. I think we're about there right now. Uh, this time of, it uh, seems like demons are all over the place. You know, probably some of the traditional listeners don't know who Gloria Polo is. In fact, there's a lot of Catholics who don't know, but she was given a vision of the afterlife and she saw that for every abortion that takes place, a new seal on hell is released, releasing countless demons 
into the atmosphere, onto Earth, that we're actually meant to stay locked away in hell. Locked away in hell. Gloria Polo was given a vision. Um, she had a near-death experience, and she was sentenced to hell. She was a Colombian woman struck by lightning, I think, 1995 or 1997. You can find her story on my blog. It's, uh, it'll take you about 30, 40, 45 minutes to read the whole story, maybe an hour. But, you know, you really wouldn't brag about it if your near-death experience said you were assigned to hell. God gave her, obviously, another chance. That's why she's on earth. But one of the things she saw at her particular judgment that was suspended was that for every abortion, again, for every abortion that takes place on this planet, chemical or surgical, a seal in hell is released, releasing countless demons onto the earth. Well, that really makes me think we could be at this time. Um, listen to another quote from Father Lapide here. Nevertheless, Lucifer is so bound in hell that not only, and this is again um, in the time of the church fathers and the early church, we might be at a kind of a worse time, but we do know he's going to be locked away again. Lucifer will be locked again permanently away at the final judgment. So take great courage on that fact. But Father, Lap Father Lapide wrote this in uh, 1700. Nevertheless, Lucifer is so bound in hell that not only is he unable to go forth himself, but even by means of his demons, whom he, could, whom he sends forth into the world, he cannot hurt men as much as he could before. For Christ has greatly restrained and diminished the power and might of the demons, as he himself says, and Apocalypse 20 and other passages indicate. St. Anthony was taught this by long experience, as St. Athanasius testifies at great length in the life of St. Anthony. Quote, the devil, he says, was hooked by the Lord like a dragon by the hook of the cross and was taken in a dragnet and was bound like a fugitive slave and his lips were perforated by a ring and a bracelet and he is not permitted to devour any of the faithful. Now like a wretched sparrow, he is made sportive by Christ. Now he groans at his companions, being trodden like serpents and scorpions under the heels of Christians. He who boasted that he drank up every sea, he who pretended that he held the world in the hollow of his hand, lo, he is conquered by you. Lo, he is not able to prevent my entering the lists against him. And he confirms this by the devil's own confession. I saw, he said, a man of enormous height, whose head reached unto heaven. When I asked him who he was, he said, I am Satan. And I said, What seekest thou here? He answered, Why do the monks blame me erroneously? Why do all Christian people curse me? I replied, They do right. They are frequently troubled by your deceits. He said, I do nothing. It is they who vex one another. But I have been made miserable. I answered. So right there, the story is that Satan um, doesn't have the power in the desert of all these monks praying out there because he has been bound and made miserable by Christ on the cross. You see, this is why we need saints again. This is why we need the restoration of the church. This is why we need the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, because there's times in Christian history when people realize the devil's impotent as long as we respond to the blood of Christ, as long as we follow Christ. Um, and obviously, these uh, monks in the desert are living on like a piece of bread a day, so part of following Christ is the ascetical life, of course. Um, but what power against the devil uh, the saints have when they actually accept all the graces that Christ gives through the Catholic Church and through his Blessed Mother. So let's just recap that parable real quick. Jesus is going to handcuff Satan to win back all of humanity from that dungeon of kidnapping where we were born in original sin. Uh, let's also look at two verbs in the Greek so you don't think that Father Lapidae or I am exaggerating. The word to bind there is deise. That's the subjective. 
Dece in verse 29 is to bind. Now the Latin Vulgate has alligaverit, alligaverit, where we get the English word ligate. Ligate is what maybe a trauma surgeon will do to a bleeding artery. It means binding it up so it stops bleeding. Well, that is what Jesus does to Satan. He ties him up and makes him impotent. But of course, only those, only for those who come closer to Jesus get rescued. Um, you have to come closer to Jesus than Satan to get rescued. Why? Because Christ respects free will. Now, all those souls kidnapped by Satan through original sin, Jesus is snatching them back. That's what's in this parable. The word in Greek there, also verse 29, is harpasai, harpasai in Greek. Now, that is the infinitive. What do I mean when I say the infinitive? Well, let's look at like the verb run. I run, you run, she runs, he runs. The infinitive of that is to run. In the Romance language, this sends an er or ar. Or eat. I ate, she is eating, they all ate, but the infinitive is to eat. So in English, you have a to in front of it to make the infinitive. Sleep. I'm sleeping, they're all sleeping, they woke, they were sleeping. But the infinitive is to sleep. Okay, so harpasai is to snatch, to seize, or to steal. Harpasai is to snatch, to seize, or to steal. So Jesus is snatching back souls from the strong man who is Satan. Okay, so now that you know who each person is in this parable, listen again. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So yeah, it's a little weird to think of God plundering the house of Satan to win back souls. But again, the, the strong man has to be bound first. By what? Ironically, by the very blood that the strong man causes to be shed at the cross. You know, see, isn't that really this astonishing irony of the cross of Jesus Christ that Satan inspires men to execute Jesus and then Satan gets bound by the very blood that was shed. And this is why we call on the most precious blood to defeat temptations in our life and why the most precious blood is so effective. And finally, that last line, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, you might remember and say, well, this sounds opposed to Luke chapter 9. Remember in Luke chapter 9, one of the apostles says, Master, it's actually John who says it, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, Father Lapide ascribes this to a group, the group of the exorcists in Luke 9, being in doctrinal agreement with the apostles. I more ascribe it to who has a good will versus a bad will as we see today in Matthew 22. But anyway, the point is that there is no contradiction between Matthew 22 and Luke 9. Why? Well, because Jesus is speaking of two different groups of people. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio de omnipotentis, patisifidi et spiritu sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.